Speaking to the Nameless, Episode 9. Well then, this will be the conversation to end all conversations, (laughs) right? Isn't that supposedly what we can do? If you and me can talk, and we can really talk it out, and we can really talk through everything, which we should be able to, then we should no longer need any more conversations thereafter. Everything should be understood, right? Right? Am I right? (laughs) And of course, as always, I have no idea where to begin. I have no idea really what to say to you. And, whoa, there's been so many different things that I've felt about you (laughs) throughout my life. And it's sort of lucky that we're having this conversation now. I think I'm at the stage where I can have this sort of conversation. Still, there's some drawbacks and I can feel some tensions. But there would have been times in my life where we could not have had any sort of conversation at all. And with good reason on my side. And probably on your side too. I don't know. So where should we begin? What should we do? Like, what what would I say to you? What could I say? What can I say to you? What would we, what are we to talk about? What what should we talk about? That's a philosophical question, isn't it? What is the thing to talk about? What is the most important thing? Well, I think in your case just seeing you would answer a lot of my questions. And maybe in some ways they would answer all my questions. Seeing you would answer all my questions. I don't know, but for this situation, well, well, let's just talk some things out. And I know so much of it depends on my attitude and how I feel. And in a sense, actually, all of it depends on me. I feel like it's sort of like talking to a mirror. How I imagine that would be. I've never I've never really done that. Like, what is it like to talk to a mirror? Except you're not a mirror exactly. You're more of a... Well, uh, if we if we stick with the analogy, if, if if you are a mirror, you're not like a conventional mirror, which is just glass and flat. You're sort of multi-angled and you've got different shapes and different reflections and different colors and sort of different perceptions. And you're sort of a multi, you're sort of like a kaleidoscoping sort of mirror. And I imagine what's it like to talk to that? Well, that's a tricky one. That's a tricky one. I don't know. I feel I feel with you more than ever that this is the hardest conversation to really come up with anything. And yet it should be the the number one conversation. It should be the very the very most important conversation. It should be the 
the conversation we have every day. It should be the conversation that drives my life and also that drives your life. But what what would that conversation sound like? Like what would those what would we talk about? Say if there was a conversation that you could live by or a conversation that you could base your life on and and also it was an ongoing conversation. It wasn't just a one-off conversation. Then what would it mean? What would it look like? And that draws something to my attention now, which is that I take it for granted that I can talk to you anytime I want. And I can talk to you in any way that I want. And I realize that that's not true. I cannot always talk to you. You won't always be available. I won't always be available. And we can only ever really talk in this way at this moment because of how we are now, because very soon we'll change. Very soon things will be very different, totally different. And that draws our attention to something, which is this conversation is unique. And this is our one chance to have it this way at this time. And I ask myself, well, what if I never talk to you again? The conversation that's come, that's a question that's come up for me quite a few times recently. I've imagined what it's like for many people in my life, for different people, not all of them, but different people at different times. What if I never saw you again? And it's funny what comes to mind. It's funny what answers I get. So let me ask you something. Can you read my mind? Can you tell what I'm thinking? Can you sense what's happening for me? Because that is really the gauge by which I go forward with sharing how I am, what I am. Because if you can really read my mind and you can really quite easily sense what I am, then I don't need to explain much. We have a shared understanding. And I understand that there are multiple ways to read minds. You can identify common thought patterns. You can identify common ideas, common belief systems. You can recognize certain phrases, certain words. And some people simply just have a knack for it. They have a talent, a, 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 a sort of sp- spooky ability to read minds. And in your case, there is every possibility that you have some sort of superpower, which means that you can read my mind. There is a chance that you know perfectly well what I'm thinking. And maybe that means for us to have understanding, 
I would just have to close my mouth, stop talking, and just to think things through, knowing that you're listening to my mind. And really the difference between talking and a conversation, that that difference breaks down. Because there's a thought process going on or there's a word process going on. Now there is a difference between talking and thoughts. I'll give you that. But in essence, in essence, there's the same thing going on. So if I sit here and I talk long enough, then surely you'll understand my mind. You will be able to read my mind. So with that in mind, what am I thinking? What do I think about you? More to the point, what do I think what do I think about you? Well, there's a lot of confusion around you. And people have said a lot of different things about you. I've heard a lot of different things about you and not all good. <laughs> They haven't all been nice things. <laughs> Should we say that? That's may, Maybe that's a mild way of putting it. That's the friendly way of putting it. No, really, people have said terrible things about you. The worst things have been said about you. And in fact, actually, on the flip side, the best things have been said about you. Now, how, how do I square that? How do we approach that sort of conversation? Both the worst things that a person can say about someone has been said about you and also the best things. It seems impossible. It seems a contradiction. But I, I know you well enough to see, well, I can sense that you're well known enough <laughs> You're well known enough to be misunderstood. <laughs> That's just a funny way of putting it. Part of me thinks maybe I should fear you. I should be afraid. Or I should come to you with a sort of sincere solemnness or a humbling, a sort of putting myself below you. Because in many ways, you are so much better than me. A lot more powerful than me. A lot more resourceful. You have a lot more means. And I understand that these are just ways of talking. And there are no really big enough words for me to explain or describe what, what you are. And I wonder, well, what's the, what's the appropriate response to that? Should I fear you? Like, what is fear of? What, what is fear of? A person. What is, what is fear in relation to a personal relationship? Is it fear of what you might do to me? What you could do to me? 
I mean, what, what could you do to me? That's an interesting question. Let, let's, say, let's say that you could do anything to me. Let's just work with that assumption that you have the power to do anything to me. Or maybe that is cause to have fear rise. Maybe there is an appropriate response in fear. Now, are you going to tell me what you're going to do with me? Can I tell you what I'd like you to do to me? Would it make any difference? Do I have any say in the matter? Are you going to do those things anyway? Are you going to treat me this way anyway? These are all quite open questions, which I don't know the answer to. Now, there are some people who say, well, if we just do what you say, everything will work out fine. There are some people that put you in that position. They put you as the leader. They put you as the boss. I don't really know how that works with me. I don't really know what that means. I haven't really... I've got a pretty bad track record for following bosses. (laughs) From following people or having a leader hasn't really ever worked out very well for me. And maybe that's a problem with me. Maybe that's a character flaw. And maybe there are better people to lead me than you. Maybe you're not the right leader for me. You're not the right boss for me. But then again, on the other hand, if if you're not, then really, another way of looking at it is if you're not the right boss for me, no one is. Maybe there's, there's fear in realizing your limits or realizing that I'll turn away from you. And maybe it's in the fear of your abilities or your power that causes me to do that. So fear is a complex one. And there might even be a fear of greatness. There might be a fear of joy, a fear of pleasure. I don't really understand that. I don't know what that looks like or how that arises. Maybe I can guess that we're comfortable in our ways. And when we meet someone who can do anything to you, and says, well, the limit is only up to you, as you might say to me, well, then that's too much responsibility. And the fear kicks in. The fear of what's possible kicks in. So I think with this assumption that you have the power of all good and evil, then I can see how fear 
is an appropriate response, a common response. And I wonder if that's the response you like. I wonder if that's the response you wanted. I wonder if that's the response that gets things done or doesn't. Like, what, what follows after fear? Well, it sounds like a very philosophical conversation when I say what follows after fear. What's after fear? And sometimes I like to answer these sort of philosophical questions quite literally. So if we think of, well, there's an animal in the forest and it encounters another animal, which is a predator, and the adrenaline click kicks in and the animal is filled with fear. So the appropriate response is, well, run away. Well, it's either that or fight. And then, well, and there's actually a third option, which is to freeze still and hope you don't notice me. <laughs> so between you and me, when I say that I fear you, well, it sounds like I have those three options. I can either fight you, I can run away from you, or I can just be very, very still and hope you don't notice me. Now that is, that is a, that's a diabolical trio to choose from. Like, do I have to choose? Can I, what's the fourth option? Is there a fourth option? Because if I fight, I'll be struggling. If I'll fight, it's a fight I can't win. If it's a fight, it's a fight that's out of my league, out of my depth. And whether I'm fighting with you or myself... It doesn't really, doesn't really matter so much. It's still a fight. It's still a hardship. It's still something that takes so much energy and causes so much pain. No one really ever wants to fight. Really, if you think about it. In any situation that is called a fight, from, from everything between husband and wife to between that and two countries fighting a war, no one ever really wants to be in those situations. And I realize I can't fight you. I wouldn't even know the first thing. I wouldn't know where to begin with fighting you. I would have to give up the very moment that I even tried to fight with you. It would be an immediate... The only thing I could do is to surrender. It's a perfectly logical thing to do. And of course, when someone surrenders, well, what happens after that? You're taken prisoner of war. Or your town is ransacked. Or you're sold as a slave, something like this. Is this what's going to happen? Somehow I don't think so. Because surrendering is not always how it is in war between countries through different ages. Surrender might also be how, how an argument is with a husband and wife. And in that situation, there might be a makeup and there might be a coming together and a rebirthing of love. So surrender as an end of an argument can be the beginning of a new love. And as for running away, well, where can I hide? 
What can I do that will cause the least mess? Leave, leave without a trace. Cover my trails, cover my tracks sort of living. What sort of life is that? What kind of living is that? Is it really living? Is it really being in the world? Can you be in the world? Can you be of the world without making a mark? There's always going to be traces of me wherever I go. At least enough for you to see. Of course the common person won't see much. Us mere mortals don't really notice each other. (laughs) But with you and all your abilities and your never-ending sense of catching up with someone, your seeming un... How do I say this? Your seemingly uncanny ability to catch up with someone again and again. Well, there's nowhere I can hide. It's like a game of hide-and-seek or peekaboo. It's just again and again. Pop, there you are. Pop, there you are. Pop, there you are. Whether I'm hiding or not, whether I'm hiding on purpose or not, it seems like you're always going to come and find me. And really that's similar to our third option in response to fear, which is to just stay still, to freeze, don't do anything. Is that living? To stay where you are? To stay as you are? How can you be in the world if you stay static? Maybe that's people how people live. Maybe people do live their lives as doing the same thing over and over again, thinking the same thoughts, having the same feelings over and over again, seeing the same people, saying the same things. And that's a response to fear, which is of just freezing and hoping nothing will notice me that can hurt me. So yes, there's a lot of complexes around fear. And I don't know if it's right that I should fear you. I should be afraid of you. And it's one thing, I realize it's one thing for me to say that and another thing for me to experience it. Like to actually, it's all good fun and games to talk about psychological maps in relation to the social sphere. That's one thing. And then it's another thing to actually be there. Because I do realize that, in a sense, you... Like, this is a contrived conversation. Well, see, see, my, my mind is buzzing right now. I can't really... There are tangles happening that I can't get my fingers around. Yeah, we might have to we might have to just pass over this this point here. Okay, how about this one? Can you explain things to me? And you say explain? This is this is what I imagine you would say, which which is I walk in 
and I say to you, you've got a lot of explaining to explaining to do. Can you please explain everything? And you might say, well, okay, no problem. What would you like me to explain? Where shall we begin? And I say, well, explain everything. And you say, well, okay, I'll explain everything, but which part of it? You want me to explain this part or are there some parts more important or where, where should we begin? But then also there's another idea that I have, which is I walk in and say, please explain. And you say, well, that's not in my job description. Actually, that's your job. <laughs> Explaining things is your job. That's what you're doing here, you say to me. Please explain. So whose job is it? What, what, what's in your job description anyway? Who gave you this job? Do you know what you're here to do? And I say this to you with such a big sense of pride and like, ha ha, I got you. And then you turn around and say, well, actually, what's your job? Mr. Explain-it-all, Mr. Know-it-all. Have you explained that? How do you explain that? Explain that. You can explain that. You should explain that. Ah, come on. You'll be very good at explaining that. And if you say that to me, well, in that case, well, maybe maybe I am good at explaining things. And yeah, well, where should we begin? You know, like, let me explain some things that I know and some things that I think are important. And maybe someday we'll get to the point where we can say I've explained everything. So please explain. Please explain. And of course, there's a middle way to this, which is we can say, well, what's your explanation for this? And I'll say, what's my explanation for this? And we can have a conversation. And we can proceed in that sort of conversation in all sorts of ways. We can have arguments. We can have agreements. We can find beautiful things together. We can find new ways of explaining things together. We can learn from one another. And we can make something very beautiful. We can make something very nice. But that's going to take some back and forth. That's going to take a lot of explaining. We might even have to explain what explaining is. Please explain explaining. And I might have to explain what explaining is. Which is explaining what explaining what explaining is. It's so funny how the word starts to sound meaningless, doesn't it? Explain, 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 explain. Please explain, 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 Try, 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 try,
believer, 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 believer. Please explain. And that might be one of the ways our conversation goes. Now, there are a few people out there that I've spoken to about you. As a matter of fact, I've actually asked what their opinion of you is. And I don't make a habit of doing this with people in my life too often because, well, it really just lends itself to gossip. And gossip doesn't really cost much, and it doesn't really give you much. Gossip is cheap. But as it happens, I have actually asked some people at certain times in my life what, are they, what their opinion is, what is the gossip they have on you. And there's so many things that I hear. And actually, one of them is that you're not who you say you are. And some people don't even think, you exist. Some people think you're just like an imaginary thing. Like a conspiracy theory. A sort of falsehood. And that gets to me this thing of, well, are you actually listening or not? Or are you real or not? And I wonder what difference it makes. Of course, here we have to assume you are listening. That's why we're talking. There's, there's always a basic assumption under a conversation, which is that someone's listening. Now, what, what would I say if no one's listening, if you're not listening? I don't know. I guess I'd talk to myself. I guess I am talking to myself in a funny way. And if I'm talking to myself, then what, what should I say? I'd have to say something I believe. I'd have to say something that's convincing. I'd have to say something that I want to hear. Now, what, what, what do I want to hear? What do I want to hear? That is a big one. That really is a big one. It seems easier just to assume that you are listening and that I'm tailoring my words to you. Which means you are real. And of course it means just because you're real, it doesn't mean you are what you say you are. Just because you exist doesn't mean you're in the form that I imagine you to be in. Just because you there's there's something there, there is something there, like you are a person and you are listening, but just because there's that doesn't mean that what my idea or my impression of like the, the, the match, the, there's a mismatch between what you are and what I think you are. And there's always going to be a certain amount of mismatch between any two people. And in this context, well, 
that's the great unknown. How much is getting through? How much overlay is there? And it's different for different people in my life. That's why I talk differently to different people in my life. So what else can we do? I like this question. What's it like to be you? And, and what if we were to swap jobs? Like, what if I was to try and do your job? Well, I'd have to say, well, what, what is your job? As we were asking before. And do you think you could do my job better? And there's, a, there's an ultimate truth here that comes through, which I've stumbled, across, I've stumbled upon a number of times in my life, which is that you, you only get the job you deserve. And you can, only, you can only do the job that you can do. And I don't mean this in a sort of careerist sense. And I don't mean this in the, the meme of working in a capitalist society. I mean this in an existential sense. And oh, it's such a mind mess up. You only get the job you deserve. You're only in the position you are in because of the position that you're in. And you can only do the job that you can do. It seems like a tautology, but it's, it's true. And, it's, and, and of course, the, the correct response is that like, oh, well, I want this job, so I'll just go and do it. So I'll just start doing this job and then, and then yeah, it'll all work out fine because I'll be able to do it. But then... There's this other side, which is, oh, but I can't do it because I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. So I have to learn. And then when I learn, then I'll be deserving. And it's not just of jobs. It's like how to be. I can be what I want to be. Being. Yes, being is a higher value than just a career. How do I be what I want to be? Yes, I'll just be. I'll just be happy. I'll just be happy. Yes, I want to be happy. So I'll just be happy. But it's so hard to be happy because I got all these hang-ups, I got all these problems, I got all this dark side. I keep feeling sad. Oh, I'm so lonely. Why can't I just be happy? So, so I don't, I don't think that's anything to go off. Like if we, if we were to swap jobs, maybe it's just a, maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe it's I'm thinking too deeply, and it should be more like a, a thought experiment of, well, well, here's my job description here's your job description and, and just tell me what you would do now uh, now what would i do in your what would i do in your position well i'd want everything there's one obvious thing which is that i'd want everyone to have a general well-being Every, everyone that i had in my team or overlook uh, everyone that i overlooked everyone i had the power over of i'd want them to have a general well-being and I'd say, well, why haven't you done that? That's in your job description. That's in your realm of abilities or possibilities or things that we can tick off on your employment review, <laughs> if we can put it so crudely. And then you might say, well, actually, you have to consider this over here. And I say, well, okay, but that's a problem. So how do we fix that? And you can say, well, I've tried this, this, and this. And I could say, well, what about if you've tried this? And you say, well, no, that wouldn't work because of this over here. 
Because if you take that away, then you have this. And eventually, basically, we go back and forth like this. This is how I imagine the conversation going. And, I'm, and we're brainstorming and you're explaining your job to me and you're explaining the problems or the tricks or the tribulations. And I'm saying, well, why haven't you tried this? And you're having all this. And we're going back and forth and back and forth and on and on and on like this. And it will reach a point where I'll say, fuck, you've got a pretty difficult job. I don't think I could do your job. Well, fuck. What a position to be in. And it might be even that I reach a certain point where I think, well, you're actually doing a pretty good job considering. Now, there, there are many jobs which have the nature of, they, they, they sort of have the feeling of this endless inability or like a, how do we say, that there's a horizon of things that need to be fixed or things that need to be done. It's, it's an impossible job, in a sense. Your job is impossible, but you're doing it anyway. And it goes on and on and on. And you have small victories, but really there's always something bigger, something more. And maybe that's your job. Maybe that's what your job is like. But then there's also the, the flip side of that. It seems like there's always a flip side. And may, maybe in your case, there is. <laughs> maybe in your case, it's just that everything has a flip side. <laughs> That's a very, wow. Uh, I, could, I could feel irony just dripping off my forehead right now. <laughs> The irony is soaking right now. <laughs> oh, but now I've lost my point. What is it? There's a flip side. Okay, yeah. So we've got this, these people with impossible jobs. And then the flip side is the people that have impossible jobs, but really to them, it's not impossible. And they are getting it done. And they're just astonishing. They have an astonishing ability or capability. And maybe that's like that for you. Maybe that's what it's like for you. And there are times I feel like that about my job. Or not not really so much. I mean, job is job is just the word we're using at the moment. It's not a very good word for what we're talking about. But well, we've stuck with it so far, so let's just stick with it. So my my job is it's really going to happen. It's just going to happen anyway. Like I would do my job anyway, even if I, well, like if I didn't want to, I wouldn't. And I can see that there's pitfalls and caveats in that. There's a little rabbit hole opening up. And really, I, it really is not a job. Like a job is such a limited sort of word. There's too many, and I want to say, I want to say mode of being, but that's too big. If like job is too small and mode of being is too big, then there should be a word that's sort of between those two. And there are times when I think, you know, this this job is a, a breeze, not in a breeze in a sense that it's easy or that it doesn't take energy, but it sort of just happens. It happens in its own way. 
And I think maybe if you had my job, it would be maybe too easy for you. <laughs> maybe that's why you're not doing it. Or it would be it would not be too easy, but too far out of your realm of abilities. And just too different. Not about hard or easy, easy or hard, or good or bad, or skills or not skills, but just, just different. It's just different. So if we just if we were to swap jobs, I have no idea. And it sort of brings upon this bigger thing, which is, I believe we're operating under a different set of laws. Now, without plugging us into behavioral psychology, if, if we could use behavioral psychology as a sort of metaphor for existential nature... And we could say each person is operating under a set of laws, sort of like the laws of nature. Like I hate, I hate that phrase, laws of nature. Nature doesn't have laws. You know what law is? Law is a very, law is about the opposite of nature. When I think of nature, I think of like trees and butterflies and being in the woods and the beach sitting on a rock and the wind and the clouds. And then when I think of law, I think of a man in a suit in an office doing paperwork or on a computer, going through red tape, politics, these sorts of things. They're about as far as removed as they can. So I don't want to use the word laws as in laws of nature, but it's like we have this, how, how do we say, what, what I normally say is, a set of parameters. So we, we're operating both under different sets of parameters. And another way of saying it is we both have different belief systems. Or we ha both have different understandings. Or we both have different energies. This sort of thing. But l l let's just pick one of these. So let's just pick, we both have different sets of parameters, which means that for you, certain things are possible that are not possible for me. And for me, there are certain things that are possible that are not possible for you. And we can turn this into a game and we can say, well, actually, you can do what I can do and I can do what you can do. And anyone can do what I can do. Let me just show you. And there, in there, we would find where our sets of parameters overcross, they cross over, where they are similar and where they're not similar, and also how malleable our sets of parameters are. Because there is an amount of malleability in our circumstances, in our existential composition. But it's not a, it's not a complete malleability. There are... How how do we say there are restrictions on the there there are parameters on the malleability of your mal of your restrictions, or conditions or parameters. Almost like a like a sculptor has a block of marble, 
and they're working it into an artwork. They can't make just any shape because the block of marble has a height to it, it has a limit to it. But also, there are many different sizes of marble, there are many different shapes and blocks of marble. So I wonder if I was in your set of parameters, would I even be able to imagine how to be different or to act differently to you? It's almost like this thing of, if I was you, I would be you. That was one of these old, that was one of these old funny things that I used to say when I was younger, which is, if you were me, what would you do? Have you heard that one before? That's a funny little question, isn't it? So much in that. And when, it, when anyone ever asked me that, I always used to say, if I was you, I would be you. So I would do exactly what you are going to do. So there's no point in asking me. <laughs> Which sort of defeats the purpose. But you, you, you could see there's, a, there's, there's something in the brain that is there's jarring and j buzzing against that because you want a proper answer like what would you do in my position if you were you and then you just we swapped positions what would you do give me a different answer is really what that question is give me a different option because I don't like the options that I've got what would you do if you were in my position what would you do if you felt the way I felt? What would you do if you think the way I think? What would you do if you'd lived the kind of life that I've lived? And what would I do if I've lived the kind of life that you've lived? And what would I feel if I felt the way you did? And what would I think if I think the way you think? And what would I do if I, if I was you, if I was you in all those ways? Well, you see now that this is just a way of illustrating that if I was you, I would be you. And that brings me to another question. And this really could be the question of all questions. I mean, there are, there are many questions that are the question of all questions. <laughs> Paradoxically. Let me just take a sip of water. This question is, do you know what you are?
And there's really two things that can serve as an answer to that. You can either say yes, or you can tell me what you are. Now, of course, maybe there's another side to the yes answer, which is you can say yes or you can say no. Or you can tell me what you are. And maybe on the second side of this is you can tell me what you are or you can tell me what you're not. So it's really, it's really four answers. So if I say, do you know what you are? And you say, yes. Well, that's the end of the conversation. And if I say, do you know what you are? And you say, no. Well, that's also the end of the conversation. But of course, the follow-up question is, well, if you know what you are, can you tell me what you are? And you can say, well, yes. Or you can say, no. So I know what I am, but I can't tell you what I am. And if we say, well, yes, and I can say, well, tell me, damn it, what are you? Just tell me, out with it. What are you? And then you can say what you are. And now the question is, would that be a sufficient answer for me? Would I believe you? Would I then know it for myself, what you are? Is what you are something that can be said in just a few words? And that's also a yes or no question. Is what you are something that can be said from one person to another in just a few words. And if you were to ask me that, then I would answer yes. And if you were to say, well then tell me, God damn it, out with the words, I would say no. And this gets to another thing, which is that of feelings, or even deeper, experiencing. And this thing of tell me what you are really only goes to a certain level. It can only get to a certain depth. Because another depth is, let me experience what you experience. Let me feel what you feel. And we can ask ourselves, well, is it possible for two people to feel the same thing? 
Is it possible for two people to have the same experience? And the answer is yes, we can share feelings. And in your case, we'd have to say, well, we're having a conversation here. So, share with me, in however way is possible, how you feel. And we can work together to get to a point where we both feel the same way. And it's you that's driving the feeling. Now, we can use words to get there. We can tell stories and we can do explanations. We can share our inner world through words to get down to our feelings. And then I'll be sitting here and I'll be saying to you, well, okay, so I understand how you feel about a certain thing. Or how you feel in this certain moment. Or how you feel now. And then I can realize, well, this is just one of your feelings. What are your other feelings? What else do you feel? And we can start working our way through. And after some time, we'll build up a multiple feelings, multiple different things that we've been through together. And there will be a deep understanding because you will know that I've been through it with you. And many of these feelings I will have also had. And we'll come across things that we've shared before without even knowing it. Now that's, wow, that's something. We... We have had the same experience before. We've had, and, and not just one, but many. We've multiple times, we've had the same experience before. It's just that we haven't had them at the same time. And we haven't had them while in each other's presence. And also we have different, ex- dif- different ways of explaining it. I almost said we had different experiences of it. We have experiences of experiences, if that's the case. <laughs> but let's, let's just keep it at one level, which is the, that we both have this range of experiences. And, and throughout all that, there is crossover. We just don't know it. And it would take a real, a real hard slog to find those. And really, that's, that, that's, uh, at times this has become one of my staples, which is, it's one of my inner sort of questions to myself. When someone's telling me a story or they're sharing something, I, say, I, I ask myself, now, have I ever felt that myself? Have I ever known that? Have I ever gone, gone through that? And a lot of the times I say yes. And so I say to this person, I can understand partly at least how you feel. Now, I don't always want to say that I know exactly how you feel, depending on the situation. Now, sometimes it is appropriate to say, I know exactly how you feel. I have been through the exact same thing. And other times it's not appropriate to say that. Sometimes it's only right to say, well, I get a bit of a sense of what you're going through. 
I, I understand a little bit of what kind of experience that is. And really, in your case, I should, well, if I turned it around like, have you felt what I've felt, then logically, I'm thinking, yes, you have. At some point, in some way, you have felt everything that I've felt. But also, as, as soon as I say that, I feel something that's, that's coming in and saying, no, my experience is private. My experience is unique. It's only me. It's personal. It's completely subjective. No one else could ever feel what I feel. And I can, I can hear that. I can, I, I can, I can feel the, the, the tugging and the pulling and the back and forth between these two things. So this is, this is a powerful question. Can we share feelings? I think the answer is both. Yes. But also no. With a whole lot of complexes ranging out from both the yes and the no. And if we were to expand on this question to build up different increments or do some philosophical hair-splitting, well, then we can say, okay, so can we share feelings? That's our sort of top of the pyramid question. And then under that, we can say, well, can we share feelings at the same time? Can we share feelings in the same intensity? Can we share feelings with the same situations? Can we share feelings and all our feelings. Is it that we can share our feelings and we can share all of them, or is it that we can share some of them and some feelings can't be shared? And this list goes on and on and on. This is a never-ending splitting down into details and complexes and nuances and subtleties. And I see that it's never-ending. And as I fragment it, I, I, I see it cascading down like an avalanche before my eyes. And it's, it's just... It, that sort of sound is happening. And as all the millions of pieces multiply and multiply and multiply and expand out into this vast open... vast openness of infinity. And I see that all experiences are expanding, extrapolating out, bursting into each other. I see that they are also all the one experience. And that you have had all these and I have had all these. And really we are the same. And somehow we do go full circle. 
from the personal to the stars. So can we share the same feelings? Well, maybe that's the same sort of question as what would you do if you were me? Or if I was doing your job and you were doing my job, what would you do? Or can you please explain? And now I want to ask you something again, which I asked you at the start. And we'll see if there's a different answer to this question. And this question is, can you read my mind? Would you dare to read my mind? And if we worked with the assumption that, yes, you can read my mind. And also, yes, we can share feelings. Well, what does that, what does that exactly mean? Is there something stopping us? Could it be even now that we are sharing feelings and sharing a mind and sharing thoughts? Perhaps logically, the answer to these questions is no. No, I can't read your mind. No, I can't share your feelings. But if we're talking about just basic logic then, well, you have to make the argument why no is any more an outrageous of an answer than yes. And I think if we're honest with balancing those scales, we'll see that both are just as likely or unlikely as each other. So let us just ponder in the affirmative that you can read my mind and we can share feelings. And what does that mean? How does that look? <laughs> 